0: It is my very great privilege to invite you to open your Bibles back to 1 Peter chapter 5. Toward the end of your Bible, the very last chapter of a letter written by a man who knew this God that we have been singing about this morning. A man who walked with this God in the flesh, saw amazing signs and wonders and miracles, was even caught up in participating in some of those. Most significantly of all, he was an eyewitness of the resurrection that gives us living hope this morning. And in many ways, those two words that appear at the beginning of this First letter of Peter are a great summary of everywhere we've been here in recent weeks as we have walked through 1 Peter, through his eyes in a sense, using what he provided for us. So much of it revolves around living hope. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. Welcome. Welcome. We hope that you see living hope through our songs together, through the good prayers that have been offered, through our our thoughtful observance of the world's greatest memorial, and now as we open up God's Word and continue to worship over it and, and through it this morning, we hope That living hope is something you can see. We we hope that you have that living hope. And if you don't, we pray that you will give very careful attention to what we're reading together today. And if we can help you experience that even this morning before you leave, we would love to rejoice with you and the angels in heaven. So is the first word it's translated for me in, in the English Standard Version first Peter chapter 5 I'd invite you to read that last chapter of this great letter with me as Peter by inspiration of the Spirit begins to draw this letter to a close he writes in verse 1 so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all. All of you who are in Christ. As we've walked through this letter, we haven't focused in on every word or every phrase, every verse, but what we've tried to do is notice th- this great theme that has been our focal point throughout this year, I am his, he is mine, how this letter in a variety of ways helps us see that helps us put some flesh on the the skeleton of that great theme and understand as disciples of Christ whenever and wherever we live what that's going to look like how that comes to be what that demands of us what that opens up to us the living hope that it gives us and so as we Hunt, one more time, in this letter for echoes of that theme. Would you notice with me, first of all, something that applies to all of us from 1 Peter 5, verses 5-6-6. And 7 you came here this morning you gave at least a little bit of thought to how you were going to be clothed before you walked out the door that is something that some of us will give more attention to throughout this week than others but all of us know what it is to be clothed all of us are clothed this morning would you come face to face even as I come face to face this morning with this vitally important truth that whatever it is you are wearing this morning you are not fully clothed if you are not wearing humility one of the things that makes going back and studying something like First Peter, so powerful, is we know so much about him, about his life and experiences from the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know that he was there. We know that he heard, that he saw, that he followed. In the flesh over the course of three years and one of the most powerful things is as we read statements like this about 30 years after Jesus died and was buried and rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the most high in heaven Peter now a much older man he can still remember because He was there. He could remember 30 years ago the arguments. Because he didn't just hear them, he participated in them at times he, he could remember what you and I only read about in Mark chapter 9 where the Lord Jesus has just shared with his closest followers Peter included I'm going to Jerusalem I'm asking you to follow me to Jerusalem but you need to know before we get there I'm going to be betrayed and I'm gonna be arrested and I am going to be tried and I am going to be mocked and I'm going to die in Jerusalem but on the third day I'm gonna come out of the grave and The very next verse, Mark chapter 9, verse 33, as they come to where they were staying, Jesus looks at them and asks them, what were you discussing on the way? And they, Peter is a part of that they. They kept silent because on the road they were arguing with one another about Who was the greatest? Jesus tells them a second time. And by the time we reach Mark chapter 10, he reiterates for a third time what is going to happen in Jerusalem. And in the very next verse, two brothers that Peter knew very well He had roots with them all the way back in Galilee. Here are James and John, they come up to him and and, and, and yeah, Jesus has said two or three times some things that we really can't wrap our minds around, but teacher, we've got something on our minds. We would like some sort of a, a, a claim that when you come to be in your glory, we'd like special seats. We will let you pick who's on the right and on the left, but we'd like to go ahead and claim dibs on that now and the next verse tells us that the rest of the apostles they're indignant. Why didn't we think of that? What are we going to miss out on? Now, Peter was There in the upper room when Jesus and his apostles have in fact gone into Jerusalem. And it's been a little bit of a tense sort of week. But now Jesus is there. He's observing the Passover with James and John and Peter and Peter's brother Andrew and and the rest. And even there, on that evening... Luke tells us that a dispute arose amongst them as to which one of them was to be the greatest. Peter was there. He could remember the arguments and he could remember being humbled under the mighty hand of God. In fact, on that same evening, we we listen in briefly from John's account as Jesus has gathered with those apostles and there is this dispute amongst themselves as to which one of them is to be the greatest. John tells us in John chapter 13 verse 3, one of the people in that room... Knows exactly who he is. Knows exactly what he deserves. Knows exactly what he can rightfully claim. Knows how he deserves to be looked on by the people around him. He knows what's going to happen the next hour, the next day. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God the one who had every right to say enough of this foolishness you don't see who the greatest really is that one rose from supper he Laid aside his outer garments, he took a towel, he tied it around his waist, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And now, I want you to read with me 1 Peter chapter 5 through that lens that now 30 years. Later, Through the man who was there, he could remember the arguments. He could remember that awkward night when water is sloshing in a bowl that nobody else would touch. And the only one who's really deserving is the one on his knees. Now, that same Lord is using Peter 30 years later to communicate to all of us. You're not fully clothed if you're not wearing humility and so this is the call and how powerful it is that he doesn't simply say listen up everybody be humble. He doesn't say, okay, there are lots of good attributes that God has modeled for us. Lots of things that we can throw out on the buffet of spiritual development. Why don't you pick what seems to come most naturally to you, your talents, your personality. And you go ahead and and specialize in all, all of those things. No, he says, listen... This is something you have to put on. It's not going to come naturally to you. You're not going to wake up every day and it just happened to be there. You're not going to stumble into this. You're not going to accidentally be this. Listen, you've got to put this on. Literally in the language that Peter is speaking and writing, you have to bind yourself bind this on bind yourself with humility literally lowliness of mind all of you bind on lowliness of mind toward one another okay well humility that's one of those words that maybe i know it's important and i know i appreciate it in other people but i'm not exactly sure what that means and thank God we don't have to guess we don't have to speculate we've got communications to Christians all over the place that show us exactly what humility is what it does what it looks like when we bind it on ourselves when we clothe ourselves with humility so Paul, for instance, in Ephesians 4, helps us by understanding, okay, humility. If I put that on, if I clothe myself with it, I'm going to be gentle toward the people around me. Why? Because I'm clothed in humility. I'm going to be patient with people. Why? Because I've put on humility. Someone says, well, you know, people around me are just going to have to deal with it. I am just not a patient person. Okay, nobody's arguing against that fact. But here's what God is calling us to do. Put on humility. And watch as the Lord teaches you patience. Clothe yourself with humility. And that's how a bunch of people who are different, with different opinions and different ways of making judgment calls, learn how to bear with one another. We don't always agree with each other. There are are ways that we come to different conclusions, different judgment calls, different opinions, different preferences. But a big group of people can bear with one another. How? When we all clothe ourselves with humility in fact that humility will make us eager the more we wear the clothing of humility the more eager we will be to maintain the unity that God has made possible through Jesus Christ Paul talks about it in Colossians chapter 3 here it is what impact does humility have well it it causes my heart To be more compassionate. It will lead me, it can lead you to being more kind, meek, literally, lowliness. I, I, I clothe myself with humility, and that begins to impact the way that I think, how patient I am, how much I am willing to bear. As I need God to bear with me. My willingness. My eagerness to forgive. Humility is the first step of putting on love. Which binds everything together. It's almost as if humility is the garment. And love is the belt that holds it all together. In fact, humility opens the door and reminds me to revisit that door over and over and over again of being thankful. You know the people who haven't been thankful this week? People who aren't humble. You know the people who have been thankful this week? People who are humble. You know the people the week after Thanksgiving who will give thanks Express things, be thankful people. It is the people who have clothed themselves with humility. It's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. No more of this selfish ambition or conceit. No. In humility, I've clothed myself and now that enables me to count others as more significant than myself. That's going to compel me to look not just to my own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, but... I might object. You you know, all of this is good Sunday morning talk, but if I really do this, I'm going to be vulnerable. And I don't really like being vulnerable. But the Lord who asked those apostles, what were you talking about along the way? And they didn't want to share what they were talking about along the way because they're arguing amongst themselves. He said, listen. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all. I'm calling you to cast all of your anxieties on me. I'm calling you to live like this. I am his and will clothing myself in humility at times make me vulnerable it most certainly will and that didn't sneak up on the Lord he said listen I'm going to use a fisherman who who spent a few decades casting nets to tell you for all time you cast your anxieties on me but if i do this i might fall behind i mean i live in a dog eat dog world and i'm not sure i i want to be left behind but the same jesus who after that bold request of james and john and everybody else gets indignant because they didn't think about that looks them all in the eye and says listen even the son of man came not To be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm calling you to clothe yourself with humility. Cast your anxieties on me and trust that at the proper time, I will exalt you. Is it enough for me? If nobody else exalts me, but I am his, is his promise enough at the proper time? I will exalt you. But Jesus, I, I don't know what will happen. Well, the same Lord, after washing the feet of those apostles, said, I've given you an example. You should do just as I have done to you. Bind on all of you lowliness of mind toward one another. Cast your anxieties on me at the proper time. I can exalt you. Do this because I care for you. And how wonderful that he did not simply say these things and then leave, and we're hanging on to nothing but words 2,000 years ago. No, he, in his infinite wisdom, has given us, in the context of the local church, no more of this as we read 1 Peter 5. Well, it's just me and Jesus and I don't need anybody else. I'm, I'm not interested in fellowship. I'm not interested in accountability. I'm, I'm not interested in leadership. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not interested in putting others ahead of myself. I am interested in Jesus. I'll just walk through life, just me and Jesus, and that's enough. No, then you're not reading First Peter chapter 5. The Lord God cares for me. And one of the ways he helps me experience that care, right here, right now, is through the shepherds of the chief shepherd. Because as we remind ourselves pretty frequently, shepherding work, as God describes it, As God defines it, as as He calls men to fill this role of service, it is people work. And so at other times we've gone back to Acts 20 and John 21 and Ezekiel 34 and we've heard the work of shepherds, what it is to pay careful attention to the flock. Shepherding work is care for people, care for the flock work. And so they are to oversee the feeding of the sheep and strengthening the weak and healing those who are spiritually sick. Something's wrong and, and something needs attention. Some are injured and so th- there is someone who needs to work to bind up those injured. To lead the charge in seeking those who are lost and bringing back the straying. All over both Old and New Testaments. This is the work. Shepherding work is care for people work. And even here, as he rounds off his first letter, he wants disciples of Jesus of all ages to understand... This is one of the ways you experience the Lord's care. I have established this so that the sheep might not be scattered. Because there was no shepherd. So that they will not become food for all of the wild beasts. And he even highlights for us in 1 Peter chapter 5 the wildest beast. Of all. 1 Peter 5, verse 8: be sober, sober-minded, be watchful. You have an adversary. Who prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. And he shows us how we can experience this care of the God who cares so much about us. But he does not leave that context without reminding us in verse 9. Listen, the choice is ultimately going to be up to me. The choice says the steps that come to form my path, that come to form my direction, that eventually determine my destination. Only I am going to make those choices. If I am going to be successful in eventually reaching home, I must choose to resist the devil. Nobody can do that for me. I must choose. To be a man or woman of faith, nobody can make that choice for me. I must do the work to become firm in my faith. I know who I am and more importantly I know whose I am. That's the choice that I must make. but if I will how amazingly wonderful that this man who made so many mistakes, in fact, we, we kicked off this entire series by going back to John chapter 21 and remembering what it looked like through his eyes. When the Jesus, he had denied three times. I don't even know it. Third time with an oath. I have nothing to do with that man. When the risen Jesus said, Peter, why don't you come over here? Do you love me? Do you love me? Third time, just as, as Peter had, had denied three times, Jesus asks three times, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. How amazing that now as a much older man, as Peter is looking for the white way to describe this God, it is the God of all grace. A- and it's not a God way out there somewhere that I, I can never have a relationship with. It- it's not a-, a God of some impersonal force. It- it's not a God simply of theoretical ideas. He, this God of all grace will himself. He's not going to send an angel. He's not going to leave it all up to you or to me. The same God that got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. That God, the God of all grace, will himself restore you you imagine what that word meant to Peter? Restore. This God will confirm you. Peter, you messed up and you messed up spectacularly, but I still have work for you to do. You, Peter, are useful to me. This God will strengthen How does he go from denying that he even knows Jesus to about six weeks later standing and saying, everybody in Israel needs to understand God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. The God of all grace strengthens. He establishes. So that his people of all ages, might be able to confidently say, I am His, and He is mine. What's the favorite thing you partook of this past week? Was it sweet? Salty? All of us partook of Something this past week. Most of us much more than we actually needed. We know what it is to be a a, a partaker. First one in the line. First one to be able to choose what they're going to partake in. The, The last one in the line looks at what's left. Hopefully still plenty to partake in. As we stand and sing this invitation song in just a few moments, I, I I really want you to hear, think about how Peter described himself in 1 Peter 1. Of course, he was an apostle. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 says he was a, a fellow elder. He, he was doing the work, the the care for people work of, of shepherding. But did you notice? he also described himself as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I don't know what you partook of this past week. I don't know what you're excited to partake of or in this week. But I do know this. If you're not his this morning, You don't have a share in the glory that is going to be revealed. This is the good news that that was preached to us, Peter says. The good news that every generation needs to hear. And all the way down to this morning, we heard him describe our brotherhood throughout the world. All over this world, brothers and sisters in Christ have have gathered together to partake in these blessings that are but a foretaste of the glory that is going to be revealed. Maybe you know full well you haven't been living like this. Let me ask you, I mean really. What's keeping you right now from this? Is it worth missing out on the glory that is going to be revealed? And if you've reached the point in your life when you realize, when I'm the one who calls the shots and I just do what I want to do, I have a pretty good propensity to make a a pretty big mess of things. And I would like to know how to start fresh. Well, God used this man in Acts chapter 2 to answer that question for all time. What shall we do? Repent. Let's turn away from what's keeping us from that glory. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That promise is for you, he says, for your children, and for all who are far off. Every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And the ordinary men and women who did that, they left that big assembly partakers of the glory that is going to be revealed. The most special thing about the people in this room who are Christians is the fact that they are partakers of the glory that is going to be revealed. This is the true grace of God. And if we can help you in partaking of that personally this morning, would you let us know how we can help you by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?